we've multiplied since I closed my eyes. <laughs> That's cool. I love it. I close my eyes and I open them up and suddenly there's all these people here. I'm like, oh, this is cool. Good morning, everybody. Oh, we have a dog. Bo's here. For those of you at home, you, you can't see the dog, but the dog's cute. The dog's really great. dog's going to be a distraction, but that's cool. Distractions are good. I love it when kids, like, run across the front in church. It's one of my favorite things. Side note, I just love that real life happens in the church. Um, again, my name is Evan, and I am the campus ministries pastor here at the Vineyard Altoona. Um, fun fact, I just made up that title. Um, nobody gave it to me. I just, you know, took it. You know, why not? So, but uh, I'm excited to be here with you this morning. Derek and Jerry um, are out for training this weekend. Uh, Derek was doing some training down in Atlanta, and Jerry went with him because yesterday they celebrated their 16th wedding anniversary, their 16th wedding anniversary. So I don't know if you guys are watching, but if you are, congratulations. We're giving you a round of applause here and everywhere else. Um, it's, it's wonderful to have godly couples to look up to. Um, uh, they, uh, they're great examples. So congratulations. They spent a day at the beach yesterday. I know that much. And they're getting ready to drive back today. Or they are driving back today because Jerry has jury duty tomorrow, which is not fun. But, you know, got to do your civic duty, right? Anyway, um, so I'm new here, in a sense. Um, uh, I've just joined the Vineyard team uh, this past July to begin doing outreach to college students. And so as, as we enter into a new partnership, uh, my wife and I with the church, we wanted to spend some time thinking about what does it mean to reach college students? What does it mean to do ministry to the college setting? But I want to introduce you a little bit to myself, first of all, um, a little bit of bio on me, some history. First of all, I was born as a child, um, and I was very cute. I was very, very cute. You can ask my wife. The pictures are solid evidence. It's undeniable. I was like real small and like bleach blonde hair. It was great. I grew up in a Christian household. Um, my father was and is a Presbyterian pastor, and so I grew up in the Presbyterian church, and my mom stayed at home and homeschooled three boys, three of us, kept our boys, all homeschooled. I think we turned out okay, I think. I went to Waynesburg University, Go Jackets, where I studied uh, religion and philosophy. Um, I had felt a calling to ministry early on in life, and I pursued that at Waynesburg, but it was also in college that I almost lost my faith. It was in college that I was exposed to the world in a way in which I hadn't been before. And I started to question some of the assumptions I had made about life and God and what he meant. And so in college, I almost walked away from Jesus. But it was the CCO, the organization I now work for, that showed me God's story and how it helped make sense of the world. It was the CCO that, that helped me understand what it meant to be a follower of Jesus in a broken world. And it was faithful friends, counselors, and ministers who walked with me as I asked hard questions in college. 
And because of them, I continued to pursue a career in ministry and ended up with the CCO where I am now. Um, so after, some, after college, after some extensive angst-fueled traveling around the country, um, I, I worked in some restaurants for a little while, and then I joined this organization, the Coalition for Christian Outreach, otherwise known as the CCO. Okay? Um, so I'll be referencing them a little bit. That's the organization I work for. They are a, uh, a college ministry based out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, that is now nationwide and ministering to college students all across the country with a goal and a mission of transforming college students to transform the world. It was this organization that influenced me when I was in college, and I actually had one of my campus ministers ask me after college, uh, Becky was her name, she said, hey, Evan, you're pretty good at this like ministry stuff. I can see God has a calling on your life, and you seem to do pretty well with college students. Would you ever consider working for the CCO and reaching out to college students? And I said, I said, Becky, don't you have to raise money in order to do that? And she said, yeah, that's part of it. And I said, yeah, no thanks. I don't want to do that. And so I ran away. I ran the other direction, and that was when I did my angst-fueled traveling. Um, and yet God was faithful. Why? Um, God was faithful in continuing to work in me and develop my calling. Um, and in 2005, I joined the CCO in ministry. Uh, I moved, did I say 2005 or 2015? In 2015, I joined the CCO. I don't know what I said. In 2015, I joined the CCO and moved here to Altoona to partner with an organization called the Altoona Collegiate Outreach, or the ACO. I have lots of acronyms in my job. So I was a part of the CCO who does ministry to college students all across the country, and I still work for them. And what's, you, what's one thing that's unique about the CCO is we partner with local churches and organizations to reach college students. So instead of just showing up on a college campus and saying, we know Jesus, we're ready to go, we come into partnership with people. We, we come alongside organizations in those towns where those colleges and universities are, and we say, hey, you're here doing the work of the kingdom already. Let's be partners. Let's do this together. You know the place. We know college students. Let's, let's do this together. So we come alongside organizations to minister to college students across the country. And so for the past five years, I've been working along this or organization, the Altoona Collegiate Outreach, reaching students on campus. Um, but just in the past year, God has been doing something inside of me and has led me in a new direction. For the last couple of years, I've been feeling this passion to work alongside the local church. Um, with the Altoona Collegiate Outreach, we, we were doing great ministry on campus. We're still doing great ministry on campus through the ACO. Um, but I really felt like I wanted to be a part of the body of believers the local church, and I wanted to invite college students into this local body. And so over the last couple of years, um, some cool things happened. First of all, um, as that was happening, I became good friends with Derek. We were friends, but we became really good friends over the last couple of years. And, and as I was starting to feel a desire to work in the context of the local church, students started attending the vineyard in what I would call record numbers, 
lots and lots of college students were coming here. Some of you who are around in the last fall and, and into the, I guess, did we make it in the spring? We made it in the spring. Into the spring, you remember college students were a part of our body, a part of our congregation for a while there. And so as I talked with Derek and visited on a couple Sundays, I realized God was doing something here. That it wasn't just an accident that college students were showing up, but that God was doing something. At the time, my wife and I were attending church across town at Overflow, and in conversations with our pastor, we said, listen, we love this church, we love what they're doing, but we feel called to go across town and join with God and what he's doing at the vineyard, because we feel called to work with college students. God is clearly working in the lives of college students through the vineyard. We want to be a part of that. And so last year, our pastor blessed us, and we got up in front of the church, and they commissioned us to come over here and attend church just across town so that we could begin reaching college students through the vineyard. And just this past summer, as God continued to do some work in me, he actually, he moved me away from ministry full-time and into part-time ministry, and he's... I believe, called me to open a sandwich shop in downtown Altoona. So I'm working on that right now, you know, because why not open a business in the middle of a pandemic? Sounds like a great idea. So we're working on that part-time, and although most people would say it's really foolish to try to do anything if you're trying to open a restaurant, I really felt like God was still calling me to reach college students, and so I am now part-time And instead of partnering with the Altoona Collegiate Outreach, I've come into partnership with you, the Vineyard. Because I recognize what God is doing in this church. And my wife and I want to be a part of what God is doing in this church. And we want to come alongside you to reach college students. So that's what we're doing. That point wasn't supposed to be that long, but hey, it was really cool. I also wanted to mention that in the past five years since I moved here, I met my wonderful, beautiful wife, Abby, and adopted our really, really cute dog, Kuiper. So if you like dogs, we also have one of those, and she's really cute. Those are fun facts about Evan. So I want to talk today about college students and college ministry, but I do that because God commands me to. And so I want to start in scripture. If you have a Bible, open up to Isaiah 56. Open up to Isaiah 56. While you're opening your Bibles, I'm going to give you a quick history of the world. Okay, quick history of the world. So in the beginning, God creates everything. Okay? In the beginning, God creates everything. How he does that, a little bit of a mystery, but the truth is that God creates everything. Then humanity screws it up. Okay? Humanity messes everything up by doing the one thing that God told them not to do. And as a result of that disobedience, humanity starts to fall apart, and as humanity falls apart, the world around us falls apart as well. Okay? So the world is falling apart because humanity disobeyed God, 
but God pursues. God doesn't give up on humanity. God chases after them. He uses figures like Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph to seek his people, to, to try and bring them back from their disobedience. Okay? So God uses some of these figures to show humanity how much he loves them and cares for them and how he actually knows what's best for them. But humanity waffles. We continue to, like, you know, sometimes follow God. Most of the time we don't, and things keep getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, but God still pursues, okay? God uses symbolic figures like priests, judges, kings, and prophets to help the people understand God's role in their life. The people continue to waffle, okay? We're still like, eh, we like God, but not all the time. Sometimes we want to do what we want to do. It's like what I imagine to be like dealing with teenagers. I don't have any teenagers to deal with, but I imagine that's what it's like. So humanity is falling apart, and God is trying to let them know that he knows what is best for them. And he does it through all these different figures, through the nation of Israel. He chooses Israel and says, okay, I'm just gonna, you guys are going to be like my example group, and, and I'm going to show the world what it's like to be in relationship with me through them. Okay? But again, it still doesn't work. So Isaiah, the prophet we're going to be talking about today, he comes during the time of the kings, okay? So God's trying to reach his people, and he tries to do that through priests. He tries to do that through judges. The people reject both of those. And then the people are like, give us a king. And so God's like, fine, you can have a king. So he gives them a king, and some of the kings follow Jesus, but then they reject him. And then towards the end of the time of the kings, so there's all these different kings over Israel, God sends these prophets to let the people of Israel, his chosen people that he's chosen to make an example of his relationship with, he sends these prophets to let them know that they're, not, they're just not getting it. They're not understanding what God is trying to communicate. Okay? So Isaiah is speaking to the people of Israel during the time of the kings, and he is trying to give them a message of judgment and of hope. He's giving them a message of judgment and of hope. He says, God sees you and the way you're living in disobedience to him. And he's going to use these other nations that are around you to punish you. He's going to, God's going to use these other nations, the Assyrians and the Babylonians, to, to come in and conquer you because you have chosen to disobey God and do what is right in your own eyes instead of what is right in God's eyes. This is the message that Isaiah is delivering. It's not incredibly popular, but he's like, this is what his God is telling you. And, and after these nations conquer you, they're going to carry you off into exile. They're going to drag you away to foreign lands and you're going to live there for a long time. This is the message of judgment that God is delivering to the people through Isaiah. However, although things are about to get worse, says Isaiah, well, says God through Isaiah, although things are about to get worse for you, don't lose hope. Because God 
will preserve a remnant of people who will repent of their sins and God will use them. The people that are humbled before God, God will use them to establish his kingdom forever. Okay? Through that people that repent, God will bring a savior, a.k.a. Jesus. Okay? And so, Isaiah, this is the message that Isaiah is delivering in this whole book, okay? So I'm summarizing the book of Isaiah for you before we get to this passage so you kind of know where we're at. Context is king. You got to know the whole story so you can know the little bit of the story, okay? So Isaiah, in this message of judgment and hope, is about to speak this word to the people. And he's saying after this time of exile, this servant will come and he will announce a new kingdom. And that kingdom will have no end. And it will be really, really, really great. And he's telling the people what this kingdom is going to look like. What are the characteristics of the kingdom? And he says, in this new kingdom, the king, the servant of God, is going to judge the wicked, and he is going to send them out of his kingdom. The wicked will no longer be allowed to live in the kingdom. Okay? But the righteous, the humbled, those that have taken ownership of their sins before God, the servant, the king, will welcome them into a new kingdom, a new Jerusalem. This is a phrase that's often used in Scripture. This new kingdom is going to be incredible. This is the story of the world, okay? And Isaiah is in part of it. To summarize it again real briefly for you, the whole story of Israel is a microcosm, a micro story of the story of all humanity. Okay? In the people of Israel who are sinning and disobedient and doing bad things, God is going to judge them. And some of them are going to be thrown out of the kingdom, and others will be welcomed back into a new kingdom of Israel, is the story of all of us and all of humanity as we believe it as Christians. That, that because of our disobedience, the world is falling apart and things are going to get worse, but because of what Jesus did, we can accept responsibility for our sins, find forgiveness in Jesus, and then one day in the future, God will usher in a new kingdom here on this earth. He will throw out all of the wickedness. He will throw out all of the sin and brokenness. And all of us who claim mercy in Jesus Christ get to come together in this new life in the kingdom. And that kingdom will have no end. This is the story of all humanity as told in Scripture. But Isaiah is talking to the people of Israel, and he's, they don't know about this new kingdom yet, and so he's telling them about this new kingdom. So I'm going to read from Isaiah 56, starting at verse 1. I'm going to read verse 1 through 8. I want to try something. Is it cool if I try something? Yes, I've got, I got one nod. That's all I need. This is a tradition in other... Oh, Jeff said no. That's okay. I don't care. 
Um, oh, Nate said no. I care even less. Um, <laughs> just kidding, buddy. Um, I want to try this. Can we all stand as we read Scripture? Is that okay? If you're able, if you're able, can you stand with me as I read Scripture? This is, this is done in, often in other churches as a way to show respect for the Scripture. I just want to try it. We'll see how it goes. Let me know if you like it or not, if it helps you or not. If you can't, only if you're able. The word of the Lord from the book of Isaiah. And if you're at home, you can stand with us too. You can join in on the fun. The book of Isaiah, chapter 56, starting at verse 1. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come, and my righteousness will be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name. Better than sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord and minister to him to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Thank you, guys. So again, Isaiah, the prophet, is describing for the people what this new kingdom will look like. He's painting a picture for them of what life in God's kingdom is going to be like. And if you want to go back and read the book of Isaiah, you'll find more descriptions of, again, judgment and hope. And this is part of the hope section. As Isaiah describes what life in the kingdom is going to be like, he describes a kingdom that is diverse. A kingdom that welcomes in outcasts. This is a little bit radical because the Israelites, for most of their existence, have been pretty nationalistic in the sense that God has even told them, stick to yourselves, practice my ways, don't marry yourselves to foreigners, don't dilute my people. And... and some of these people have often been considered unclean 
And, and the laws of God said, don't touch those people because they're unclean. Don't go near them. And if you do, here are the steps you have to take in order to become clean again. So God is kind of doing a 180 here. I say that tentatively. You know, God does what God wants. But God is saying, in my kingdom, I am going to welcome all of these people that have traditionally been pushed away. These people are going to be part of my kingdom. The distinctive on those people, though, is that they have attached themselves to the Lord. Okay? God's not saying, hey, everybody gets to come. It's just a free-for-all. Let's all go in. He's saying, no, the people that have attached themselves to me, I am going to gather them close. They're not going to be quite what you expected, potentially, but I'm going to welcome them. I love that last verse. It says, the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. There are people that have already gathered near, but God's saying there's more, and I'm going to go get them, and I'm going to go welcome them into this kingdom that is diverse. It has people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Every walk of life is going to be represented in this kingdom. And the one thing they will have in common is they will have all thrown themselves on the mercy of Jesus Christ for forgiveness. This is what how God describes the new kingdom. And as I have read through this passage, which is part of the complementary lectionary today, I've found what I'm thinking is a new mandate for me in campus ministry. A new mandate for me as I go on to campus, hopefully, this fall. We, as the church, are called to reflect the life of Jesus and the life of the kingdom to come. We, together, as the body of believers, are meant to show the world what life in the new kingdom is going to look like. And so we live together in unity, settling disputes with grace and justice. We give to the poor We welcome the needy, and we welcome those who have been outcast. We welcome people in, and we give them a home. This is our mandate as people in the kingdom of God. And this happens all sorts of different ways. There's all sorts of different ways that we can do this. I'm reminded looking over here at at Liz that she does an incredible job of welcoming people into the kingdom here in Altoona. People from other countries who have come and traditionally have been outcast in our society because they speak a different language or they're not used to the customs. I've I've traveled to a couple different countries and it was an eye-opening experience of like not knowing how to say like, excuse me, where's the bathroom? (laughs) Like that's a terrifying experience and I wish somebody would have gone... Hold on, come here. Let, let me learn your language and help you understand where the bathroom is. This is, a good, this is good language to learn. Betty does a great job of that. This is our mandate in the kingdom of God is to welcome people in. And how I feel called to live out that mandate is with college students. Because oftentimes, walking onto a college campus 
A freshman is away from home for the first time in their lives. They are unfamiliar with the territory. They don't know the language. And sometimes they just need to find a bathroom. Last fall, we tried something new, which went really well. We realized this was a problem. Oftentimes, students, when they come on campus, they don't know the lay of the land. They've never been there before. They don't know what's going on. So they need help finding things. And so a group of us went out onto campus on the, like, the first two or three days of school with signs, these cardboard signs that just said, need help, ask us. And we stood in key places around campus. And we said, hey, you need help? And I can't tell you the amount of people that came up to us and didn't ask us about Jesus. We didn't have a conversation about grace with them. They just said, hey, do you know where a 267B is? And we're like, yeah, it's over there. You just, in fact, how about, do you want me to walk you there? I can walk you there. Is that cool? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, hey, what's your name? And they're like, hey, I'm Justin. I'm like, hey, Justin, I'm Evan. And we got to walk them to class and form a relationship. A small act of kindness to a stranger, to a foreigner who is not yet home. I got on a roll and I lost my place in my notes. Lord Jesus, slow me down. I believe that our mandate is to reach college students. We're called to welcome those God has gathered. There is a massive mission field right down the road full of students, many who don't know the name of Jesus, but many who do. There are plenty of college students who come to school from Christian homes and strong churches, but when they get to campus, they don't know anybody, and they're often afraid to ask. And so I've talked to a lot of students who as juniors and seniors, after three or four years in school, I'll say, I'll be like, hey, I'm Evan. They're like, hey, I'm so-and-so. And they're like, what do you do here? And I'm like, well, I'm a campus minister for this Christian group that meets on campus. And they're like, wait a minute, there's a Christian group here? And I'm like, yeah, you're a junior, right? And they're like, yeah. I'm just like, you've been here three years, right? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, you didn't know there was a Christian group on campus? And they're like, no. And like, Lord, forgive me. I repent. I should be talking more. I'll own some of that. If I'm not speaking loud enough saying, hey, Christians, we're over here. Come on. We're your family. Come on over. That's on me. Now, some of it's on them. Some of them never leave their dorm rooms, but that's a sermon for another day. But there's a massive mission field right up the road where students come from literally every corner of the globe. International student orientation is is often one of my favorite times during the year because all of these students come from all over the world. And you know what we do? We take them to Walmart. (laughs) You know why? Because they need stuff. They showed up here on a plane with like three suitcases, and they're like, I need sheets. (laughs) I need a light. They all buy bottled water, too. I don't understand that, but they all buy bottled water. A lot of Mountain Dew, too. We have the opportunity and the privilege for our church to look more like the kingdom of God by inviting college students to join us in worship. 
Let me say that again. We have the privilege and the opportunity for our church, this body of believers, you and I together, to look more like the kingdom of God by inviting college students to join us for worship. And that is what we together have a, as a church have committed to do. I came, my wife and I, we joined the vineyard because we saw what you were doing and we wanted to join God in what he was doing through you. And in response, the leadership of the church said, Evan, we see what you and your wife are doing on campus. We think it's good. We want to join with you in what you are doing. So we have an official partnership. We are together to reach college students. How are we doing that? You might ask. How are we doing this? Well, I, I think I believe I believe something about the world, and that is all truth is God's truth. Okay? All truth is God's truth. There is nothing true in the world that God did not ordain to be true. And so oftentimes, people who don't know God look at the world and they see truth. And they share that truth, not knowing that it is God's truth. And so oftentimes, we can look at the great minds and the great artists of our countries and say, that person is pointing to God's truth. One of my favorite uh, theologians, I guess I would say, who, who sees the world and speaks about God's truth is the great American singer, songwriter, poet, and philosopher, Taylor Swift. Mm. I'm a Swifty. More fun facts about Evan. I am a Taylor Swift fan. Now, I started years and years and years ago um, I'm, I'm into country music, and, and I heard her songs, and at first I was like, this is kind of annoying, but then it grew on me, and I was like, this is good. And I, I loved her first couple of albums as she just sang some really fun, catchy stuff, and it was, it, I think it spoke to the depth of human emotion, and it was great. And then, and then there was a falling out. Stuff was going on in Tay-Tay's life, and she just took another direction, and friends, there were teardrops on my guitar. <laughs> as she released some, like, rock pop stuff that I wasn't a huge fan of, and I thought I've lost Taylor forever. She's gone. But just recently, in the midst of pandemic, out of nowhere, as far as I know, she dropped a new album. And at first I thought, no, no, she's betrayed me before. This is, this is never going to work. But then one of my favorite, uh, this guy named Byron Borger, who sells books, through this bookstore called Hearts and Minds. I encourage you to check it out if you're into books. He posted a Facebook post about her album and how beautiful it was. And I was like, what? This man I love and respect thinks that Tay-Tay's back on track? Let me in on this. So I started listening to Folklore, the newest album. And I was like, man, this is, there's some deep stuff in here. Because I think what Taylor does is she looks at the world and she looks at herself and her emotions, and she tries to interpret them the best she can. And she stumbles upon truth, because all truth is God's truth. In one of the songs, titled Invisible String, if, 
if anybody has listened to Folklore yet, you might know this song. She tells a story, which is really cool because she talks about how uh, these, these moments in life that have been both good and hard, and she's looking back at them going, I didn't know these moments meant anything. I didn't really know that these moments were any sort of big deal. But now as I am farther ahead in life and I'm looking back, I realize there was this invisible string that connected all of these moments and brought me to you. And that string was gold. Invisible String is a song about a story. It's about the transformation of a life over time. And transformation is incidentally what the CCO, the organization I work for, is all about. We are all about transforming college students to transform the world. We want to see students come to know Jesus and his story so that they can go and live it out in the world. This truth that Taylor discovers in this song, that, that there were all of these moments in life that she didn't know were connected until later on, she calls this invisible string. What if in life the invisible string wasn't chance, but was actually the Almighty God using our smallest actions to change the world? What if everything you did mattered but you didn't get to know why until later. I think this is a truth. That everything we do matters. Transformation is not an event. Transformation is not something we just wake up one day and we're like, I'm a new person. Yay! Transformation is a process. I can't, tell, I can't tell you how many late-night phone conversations I've had or late-night sessions with students I've had where they've, they've been on their knees weeping, crying out for grace and wanting to know Jesus. And I get to pray with them and invite them into deeper relationship with Jesus. And two weeks later, they call me and they're like, I'm not sure I believe this Jesus stuff anymore. True story, I had a student accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And three or four years later, he called me and said, I don't know if I believe in this stuff anymore. And I said, well, what changed your mind? And he said, well, I went to this haunted house this weekend. And I just was like, wait a minute. You came to believe in the God of the universe and then went to a haunted house and that changed your mind? He said, yeah. I said, okay. Transformation is a process. We don't just get to wake up one morning and everything's different. So how are we going to help transform college students together? Love. Love will be our refrain here and on campus students with college. I want us as a church to love college students, to show them the love of Christ, and I hope that together we can create enough moments in a student's life where they recognize I didn't realize that was changing me back then. I didn't realize that my time at the vineyard during those four years of college was actually connected to something larger. 
I didn't realize the, the sermons that I barely remembered or the conversations that I had with some church members but thought were insignificant actually pushed me closer into relationship with Jesus Christ. Friends, you can be a part of the transformation of someone's life. You can change a life through the power of the Holy Spirit. God can enable you to do that. So we will love students. I'm beginning to work out a three to five year strategy of campus ministry for the vineyard. Haven't quite figured it out. One of the options I have ends with a church being planted on campus. We'll see if that happens. I don't know. I'm trusting God on this one. But the steps that have been given to me, I believe by God as I've been in prayer and in scripture thinking through how do we, the people of God, love college students and minister to them is two things, prayer and care. We will love students by praying and caring. I want to outline those really briefly, and then I'm wrapping up, okay? Coming to a close. Prayer is our weapon. We are going to pray for college students that they might come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and that their lives will be transformed so that they will be equipped for kingdom release, both on campus and when they graduate. We want to pray for college students because we're inviting the Holy Spirit and the God of the universe to work with us as we work with him. We are going to pray for students. We are going to care for students tangibly. I don't know if you guys know your love languages. I've recently discovered that I'm a gifts person. If you know the love languages, gifts is a language. I discovered this. I didn't think it was me, but then I took a test, and I was like, what? Gifts do it for me. My wife literally, she just got me this, uh, this I'm opening a grilled cheese shop, and she's like, I got you a gift. I was like, what? She's like, it's coming in the mail. So for the last three days, I was like, this is cool. What is it? What's it going to be? And I came home last night from a long day, and there it was. And it was a, a grilled cheese face mask. It wasn't a grilled cheese sandwich. It was a face mask that had grilled cheeses on it. Although a grilled cheese face mask, that might be something I need to look into. <laughs> Who knows? But it was just a face mask with some grilled cheeses on it. It was small. It was not super expensive. But I felt so loved because my wife thought, That's, he'll like that. He'll enjoy that. So, friends, if you want to love me, just buy me something. Or just give me something, you know? I'll take cash. I'm not picky. You might have a different love language. Mine is gifts. And so as I think about how are we going to love college students, I want to give them gifts. I don't know if I'm walking out of frame. I'm a walker, and I didn't realize. I forgot. I keep forgetting. Hopefully I'm not out. I'm glad you guys are still with us. I want to give them gifts. I want to I I build care packages that we can send to students because the reality is while they're coming back to campus, and they are coming, they'll be here this Friday, it's going to look a lot different than it has in years past. And I'm sure it's going to be even more stressful for freshmen who are trying to find the bathrooms. And, and the reality is, is if, if the pandemic gets worse, Penn State might send everyone home or lock down even harder. And it will be even harder for us to gather with college students. 
but I want to develop a list of their names and addresses and commit to saying, hey, every month we're going to send you something. And maybe I don't tell them that, but maybe we commit to that together to say, hey, every month we're going to buy some gift cards and we're going to send them to college students. Because if I can't hang out with this student and give them community, dang it, at least I'm going to give them some Chipotle or something. I like Chipotle too. That's a love language. God's kingdom is diverse and it welcomes people in. People that are different from us. People that we don't normally interact with. This is what the kingdom of God is going to look like. And because that's what the kingdom looks like, that's what we want our church to look like. And one of the ways we can do that, and one of the ways we have committed to doing that, is by inviting college students to be a part of the life of our church and to join us in our little kingdom outpost here as we seek to reflect Jesus to the world. And we're going to love college students by praying for them and caring for them. The deets. I'm putting together a campus ministry team. Some of you may have heard of this in the last couple of weeks. We've made some announcements. I'm putting together a campus ministry team. A team of people that have a heart for college students and want to see them transformed. Now, I don't have a big list of qualifications or, like, a list of responsibilities of, like, what we're going to do. I just gave them to you. We're going to pray for students, and we're going to try and care for students. That's it. My qualifications for somebody that would be a good fit on this team, one bullet point, well, maybe two bullet points, loves Jesus, wants to love college students. That's it. If you fit those two points, loves Jesus, wants to love college students, Maybe God is calling you to join me, to join my wife, to join the other campus ministers we work with to invite college students into the kingdom. The first steps of this team are pretty simple. We're going to get together probably for like five minutes before or after church, and we're going to pray for college students. And that's it. That's it. We're going to get together, we're going to pray for college students. And then once they come back, we're going to start to think, okay, how can we love these college students? Maybe we can send them care packages, or maybe words of affirmation are your love language, and you want to write them some letters. God bless you. I hate writing letters, but if that's your gift, use it. I'm going to rant here in a minute, so I'm going to close. Students are coming. Students are coming. They're coming this Friday. It's going to be a weird year. I mean, things have been weird for us. You know that. You've been a part of that. Things are going to be weird for college students. If you think that you have a heart for college students, that God might be calling you to, to, to love college students, come talk to me after church, okay? Or better yet, during worship, I'm going to be right over here, and, and I think hopefully we'll have some, some other folks uh, praying. If, if there are things you want prayer for, Please come up. But I'm going to be right over here. And if you feel like God is calling you to love college students, just come on up and talk to me during worship. And we'll pray for college students together. We're not going to wait. We're not going to put it off. We're not going to hold a meeting next Sunday. If you want to love college students, I'm going to be right over here. You can come up and we'll pray for college students. If there's somebody already praying with me, just come on up anyway. We'll pray together. Two is better than one. 
Three is even better. It's going to be great. We do this because Jesus loves us. We invite people into the kingdom because God is ordaining and establishing the kingdom for us to live in. And it's going to be diverse and it's going to be incredible. Will you join me?